When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This is an Apostrophe podcast production. This episode briefly discusses suicide. Please take care when listening. We regret to inform you, The Rejection Podcast. The smallest of opportunities kept me going, so much so that I resolved to struggle until I couldn't walk anymore. Pedro Pascal. The 1970s in Chile was a tumultuous time. After an extended period of social, political, and economic unrest, a coup d'etat carried out by the nation's armed forces led to the death of Chilean President Salvador Allende, and dictator Augusto Pinochet seized power. The coup, which effectively ended the nation's democracy, would only foreshadow the new president's violent methods. Across what would become a 17-year rule, it's reported more than 3,000 people were executed or disappeared under Pinochet, and thousands more detained, tortured, or exiled. Among the staunch resistance of the new regime was the Balmaceda family. She was a child psychologist. He was a fertility doctor. The couple lived in Santiago, Chile, but soon, their liberal activism and ties to the former president forced the Balmacidas underground. 
Fearing imprisonment or worse, they left their children with trusted relatives and spent six months in hiding until the couple spotted a risky opportunity. One night during a shift change, they climbed the walls of the Venezuelan embassy, and it was there the Balmacitas were able to claim asylum. They were finally reunited with their daughter, Javiera, and their nine-month-old son, Pedro. First, the family was sent to Denmark as refugees, then overseas to the United States, where they settled in a strange new place called San Antonio. Growing up in Texas, Pedro Balmacida Pascal says he didn't notice his family was different until someone inevitably pointed it out, with subtle questions like, why does your mom talk like that? Though Pascal was young enough to grow up bilingual, it wasn't quite as easy for his parents and older sister. So every week, they developed a family ritual. They'd go to the movies. At the local multiplex, they could immerse themselves in the language and take in as much American pop culture and popcorn one could digest in a two-hour period. One weekend in 1979, they went to see Superman, starring Christopher Reeve. And four-year-old Pascal needed to use the restroom. To his surprise, his parents let him go by himself. A bold move in hindsight, he says, because he couldn't yet read. And turns out, that was a problem. Unable to make out the signs on the theater doors, he wandered back into what he thought was Superman, but turned out to be Kramer versus Kramer. Bored and confused, little Pascal found an open seat, curled up into a ball, and fell asleep. When he woke up, the theater was empty, save for his family standing over him. His sister told him he missed Superman saving the world from deadly earthquakes by spinning the earth to go back in time, saving Lois Lane and altering human history in the process. To save face, he told her it was no problem. All of that happened in Kramer versus Kramer, too. As Pascal got older, he would continue to make himself at home at the movies. Sometimes his mother would drop him off at the multiplex before work in the morning and tell the staff she'd pick him up at six. He saw Raiders of the Lost Ark far too many times. He saw Empire of the Sun and couldn't physically stop talking about it. He saw The Big Chill before he was old enough to understand any of the jokes. But he says he kind of liked that he wasn't in on the gag. It meant there was something to look forward to when he got older. In the meantime, when everyone else laughed, he'd laugh too. Pascal devoured Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. He watched Alien and Poltergeist. There was really only one movie his parents strictly forbade him from seeing. The Breakfast Club. His father decided kids melting off at school was where he drew the line. Pascal says all that time in a darkened theater did little to illuminate his social life. But he didn't care. He wanted to soak in the cinematography, to live the stories, like E.T., an alien who lands in America, figuring out how to fit in. When Pascal was in grade five, his father got a big job opportunity. 
So the family packed up and left Texas for Orange County, California, where his father joined a fertility practice by the beach. It wasn't lost on Pascal. That beach also happened to be a hop, skip, and a bumper-to-bumper car ride from Tinseltown. Suddenly, he was a big fan of geography. His parents enrolled him in theater classes at the Laguna Beach Playhouse, where he got the lead in a children's play. They figured acting would get his eyes off the screen and into the real world. But what Pascal would soon discover was that dealing with real, live people wasn't always easy. Pascal was bullied at his new school. He struggled to fit in for what he describes as two really, really rough years. He was labeled as a nerd. Apparently, the other kids weren't watching foreign cinema at 13 and keen to debate the cultural impact of hope and glory. He was lonely, so he says he found new ways to occupy his time. He started reading plays and renting the classics. After a particularly bad day, he'd tuck himself into The Graduate or Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. He says he didn't have imaginary friends. He had imaginary circumstances. He was obsessed with Indiana Jones and would constantly reenact his favorite scenes in the backyard. Pascal broke his arm three times in his childhood, more than once the direct result of hanging from trees a la Raiders of the Lost Ark. And after the second trip to the ER, his mother decided to enroll her son in a performing arts high school. And there... He, quote, burrowed even further into his obsession. One night in Pascal's senior year of high school, a friend of his mother's called the house. She had bought a ticket to a play in downtown L.A., the pre-Broadway run of Angels in America. But the play was a two-parter, and she knew her bad back couldn't handle that kind of cushy theater seat marathon. So she offered her ticket to 18-year-old Pascal. He'd never heard of the play, but he was interested in theater, so he figured, why not? That afternoon, he cut out of class early and drove downtown. He found his seat, and within three hours and 30 minutes, plus a 15-minute intermission, Pascal says his life changed irreversibly. He says the play was overtly political, overtly emotional, and overtly intellectual. It was as educational and enthralling as a book. And that night, he realized what he wanted to do with his life. Soon, he graduated high school, and Pascal was off to New York City to study acting at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts. In the year 1990, Chilean dictator Augusto Pinochet stepped down, and Pascal's parents were permitted to return to their home country. By this point, they'd had two more children, another girl and another boy, making Pascal the second eldest of four. But he and his older sister stayed stateside, sharing a shoebox apartment in New York. Pascal says landing in the big city, he realized his comfy county life was long gone. He was hit with a sort of gritty existentialism, the inescapable feeling he had entered a much bigger, much realer world, one where everyone had somewhere to be, both in the moment and in life. 
Another big difference between New York and L.A. was that in New York, he made friends. Pascal fell into the LaGuardia High crowd. Remember the school from fame? It boasts a conveyor belt of peculiarly successful showbiz alumni, including Al Pacino, Liza Minnelli, Wesley Snipes, and Jennifer Aniston. And in 1993, the graduating class included one Sarah Paulson. Paulson and Pascal became good friends. And though he never attended the famous high school, he found his tribe in that year's crop of Hollywood hopefuls. By 1997, Pascal graduated from Tisch School of the Arts. And suddenly, he wasn't a student anymore. He was a New Yorker. A New Yorker ready to take his shiny new acting BFA out for a spin. So he lined up his first audition. It was an open call for a legal thriller called Primal Fear. He auditioned for the film in New York, then flew to Los Angeles for a second audition. But he was ultimately rejected. The part went to Ed Norton. Pascal figured he should probably set a do-or-die date for himself. He was 22 years old. If, by the time he turned 29, he didn't have any major exposure, he'd reality-check himself into another career. 30 was no spring chicken for an actor. The good news was that he had seven years to make that dream happen. So he started pounding the pavement. On a fresh-out-of-prestigious-acting-school high, Pascal managed to land himself an agent. And he landed an audition for an episode of a show everyone was talking about. His sister loved the show. His best friends loved the show. It was the show of the 90s, none other than Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The episode would be for the season four premiere, the role of a college freshman who ends up, quote, devoured by the undead. And Pascal got it. A couple days of shooting, a couple vampire bites, and he was walking his check straight to the bank. Soon after, he landed three episodes on MTV's raunchy teen series, Undressed. Then, a walk-on part on Touched by an Angel. His friend Sarah Paulson got one, too. Pascal couldn't help but think television acting wasn't nearly as difficult as people made it sound. This was all so easy. Pascal flew to Los Angeles to audition for a new sci-fi series called Dark Angel. It was a big deal at the time because it was the first production James Cameron's name was attached to since Titanic. Everyone wanted a part. Pascal wanted the supporting role. He didn't get it. It was disappointing. Then his phone rang, and on the other end was the most devastating news of his life. It was his family back in Chile. Pascal's mother had taken her own life. Veronica Pascal had been suffering from a severe mental health condition. Pascal says he lost the most important person in his life that day. And that day forged a line in his mind. There was before his mother's death and after his mother's death. Now he was living in the abyss of the after, completely lost. He couldn't comprehend how the world just kept spinning. 
Pascal flew to Chile for the funeral. When he got back to New York, he got another phone call. His agent dropped him. Over the following years, Pascal said all he wanted to do was get work to distract himself. He landed a few theater gigs, off and off-off Broadway, where he says he played a series of masculine gay men and vaguely ethnic characters. He did regional Shakespeare in places like Washington or outside Boston. He became part of the Manhattan Theater Club, an off-Broadway company where he earned $515 a week. But it wasn't enough to cover his New York rent. At that time, Sarah Paulson's career was picking up. She'd done 33 episodes on a WB drama called Jack and Jill and was about to do a nine-episode arc on Deadwood. So when she could spare it, Paulson would give Pascal the per diem from her latest gig so he could eat dinner. Pascal got jobs at four or five local restaurants and cafes, but he was fired from almost all of them really putting a fine point on the struggling New York actor cliché. Paulson said she and Pascal would go to the movies constantly, often for fun, more often for an escape. Soon, 2003 melted into 2004, and Pascal turned 29, the do-or-die age he'd set for himself after graduation. He said by this point, he felt like he'd died many deaths. And he had to make a choice, to readjust his own expectations and accept that his career didn't look like he thought it would as a keen, green 22-year-old, or give up. He felt like he was living a child's fantasy, but he was almost 30 and unable to live off the next off-Broadway show. With each passing year, his dream of becoming a successful actor felt far, far away. We'll be right back. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. In 2005, Pascal was cast in an off-Broadway play called The Beauty of the Father. It was there he met another theater actor, a fellow Latino actor, with the same hunger for parts. His name was Oscar Isaac, and the pair became fast friends. Isaac said being a Latino actor around the millennium, he was easily pigeonholed, stereotyped. His agent would send him role after role for... Gang member number two. Pascal had his own brand of casting room weirdness around his ethnicity. He said he'd show up to auditions, say his name, and casting agents would stare at him confusedly, as though he didn't look like he would be called Pedro. So one day he decided to change his name to Alexander, after a movie he loved from his childhood called Fanny and Alexander. He figured Alex was impossible to mispronounce, and he'd do anything to book a job. If you peek at Pascal's CV from around the year 2000, you'll notice a single episode of NYPD Blue and a TV movie called Earth vs. the Spider, both credited as Alexander Pascal. But you'll also notice those are Pascal's only two credits that entire year. It didn't change a thing, so... He changed it back. Pascal said, frankly, by this point, he was desperate to be typecast, just so he could get some work. He and Isaac's inner confidence became quieter and quieter in tandem. Pascal, who used to dream of one day living the stories he devoured at the movie theater, watched those big dreams shrink. Soon it became the dream just to pay rent. Isaac said there was no strategy, so much as a deep love of something insurmountable. Two thousand six to two thousand eleven was a desperately lean time for Pedro Pascal. In two thousand eight, he booked the requisite Law and Order. In two thousand six and two thousand nine, he booked Law and Order Criminal Intent. And in 2011, he booked Law & Order Special Victims Unit. One franchise, four characters. 
He said one-off TV roles meant about three to eight days of work, more money than an entire run off-Broadway. But even still, it wasn't a lot of money. Pascal was up for two plays that could give him work over the next winter, including The Merchant of Venice, but he didn't get either. He auditioned for The Vampire Diaries, but was rejected for the part. They said he was too old and ultimately cast someone 10 years younger. Pascal thought about giving up, but he said this deep into the game, he hadn't developed any other skills. It was too late to develop any other skills. Chasing, auditioning, callbacks, rejection, tiny wins, more rejection. That dance was the devil he knew, and he was learning to detach. In 2011, Pascal saw a small bump in his CV. He landed a six-episode arc on the CBS hit show The Good Wife. He also landed a 10-second scene in the Matt Damon-Emily Blunt thriller The Adjustment Bureau. He was constantly back and forth between New York and L.A. So in a those-who-can't-do-teach moment, he started mentoring acting students at the University of Southern California. And one day, he was working with a student, helping him prepare for an audition. The role called for a late 30-something bisexual Lothario from the 15th century. He thought, well, this wasn't going to work. The student in question was 20 years old. But Pascal, on the other hand, Pascal was 30-something. He had been cast as, quote, masculine gay characters consistently and told he was too old for 20-something parts just as often. He quickly read over the audition scene and was blown away. This role was made for him. The character was named Oberyn Martell. The show was called Game of Thrones. In 2013, Game of Thrones was already knee-deep in its third season the premiere of which broke the record for the series' most-watched episode to date, with 6.7 million viewers. So when Pascal got home from mentoring, he called a friend to come over and hold his iPhone while he recorded his own audition scene. Pascal realized he had a connection to the series' creators, albeit a somewhat distant one. His good friend, Sarah Paulson's good friend, Amanda Peet, was married to the Game of Thrones showrunner, David Benioff. So he asked Paulson to pass along his audition video. Benioff said Oberyn Martell was a particularly tricky role to cast, not only because the character entered the storyline midstream, but because he needed to accomplish three things simultaneously— he had to have sexual charisma, seductive to both men and women. He had to be believable to the audience as a ruthless killer, a lover of poisons. And he had to have depth, someone who could oscillate between funny, sensitive, and psychopathic. It was a near-impossible ask. When Benioff received Pascal's audition tape, he said it was, ahem, <laughs> Unusual. Because first of all, it was an iPhone video. And by the way, it wasn't even one of the new iPhones with decent cameras. He said it looked like garbage, though he used a different word there. It was shot vertically like a selfie. 
the whole audition screamed amateur, except for one thing, the performance. Pascal was intense and believable. So Benioff wrote to Pascal asking if he could make one small acting adjustment and send a second tape. So this time, Pascal decided to do it upright. He hired someone to shoot his audition with proper lighting and sound. Benioff loved it. And a few weeks later, Pascal got another note. He was invited to Belfast. Every step of the way, Pascal doubted his place on the Game of Thrones set. While shaking hands with David Benioff and the HBO executives, while being fitted for costumes, while getting prepped for stunt rehearsal, he convinced himself it was merely a pity audition. It wasn't until the trip was over and he was on his way back to the airport that Pascal called his agent and asked, So, did I get the part? Pascal realized he had made himself totally invulnerable to a job of that caliber. He had learned to cage his expectations and shut the hopeful side of himself off completely. So when this opportunity presented itself, it wasn't safe to let himself want it. Wanting something that big was too emotionally dangerous. He was 38 now. He knew better. But his agent had the answer to his question. Not only was Pascal cast as Oberyn Martell on HBO's mega-hit series Game of Thrones, he was hired for a seven-episode arc. You know, before his character's eyes are eventually gouged out and he's inevitably killed off. Pascal was in shock. Soon, it was Pascal's first official day of shooting in Belfast. He arrived on set and looked up at the imposing castle walls around him. The landscapes, the costumes, the countless background actors, the elaborate props. For the first time in almost 20 years, he was exactly where he wanted to be. David Benioff wasn't in Ireland that week. He was in a different country shooting scenes with the show's other filming unit. And Pascal's first scene was a long one, with the number one name on the call sheet, Peter Dinklage. Benioff said, truthfully, he was nervous. The scene was pivotal. His actor was unknown. Pascal was nervous too, but he shot his scenes, and those scenes were promptly sent over to Benioff for review. The next morning, Benioff took a look. And when the footage came to an end, he immediately pulled up his email and wrote a note to Pascal. He told him he nailed it. He said he wasn't sure if Pascal would believe him or think he was just being nice, but he said he knew in that moment Pascal was going to be a star. Pascal's character on Game of Thrones became a fan favorite. And it turns out, a springboard. The following year, he was cast in a lead role in the Netflix crime series Narcos about Colombian drug kingpin Pablo Escobar. The New York Times called it irresistible, and the show would go on to win three Emmy Awards. Famed director Matthew Vaughn said the first time he saw Pascal in Narcos, he recalled saying, Who is this Burt Reynolds guy? And he called Pascal, asking him to come audition for his latest film, Kingsman, The Gold Circle. 
It co-starred Colin Firth and Mark Strong. Bond said Pascal had this swagger and confidence, but at the same time, such a vulnerability of expecting to be rejected. He got the part. The following year, Pascal was cast alongside Matt Damon in The Great Wall, and soon he got a call from Patty Jenkins. The Patty Jenkins. She wanted to talk to him about playing the villain in the second installment of Wonder Woman, 1984. But this was a different kind of phone call. Jenkins wasn't asking Pascal to audition. She was offering him the part. Pascal was floored. An offer, the ultimate acting ambition realized. In the summer of 2018, Pascal was prepping to shoot Wonder Woman when he caught a call from writer-director John Favreau to speak with him about a secret project. All Pascal knew was that it was something Star Wars-related, but that tidbit alone was plenty to pique his interest. It was all very clandestine. Favreau led Pascal into a conference room where all four walls were plastered in storyboards. From left to right was this meticulously crafted arc of what appeared to be a television season. As he walked around the room, Pascal noticed several nods to the original Star Wars characters he'd grown up knowing and loving, as well as some spins on those characters, like a baby Yoda. He learned the project was to be called The Mandalorian, a TV show that would span the gap between the fall of the Empire and the emergence of the First Order. It was fascinating and impressive. Pascal said he got all excited. He figured they wanted him to voice a character in one of the episodes, maybe one of the droids. Pascal agreed to come on board in whatever capacity they wanted and he was escorted to the studio where a team of people started fitting him for a helmet. But it was all still a mystery. He got the sense everyone knew something he didn't. So he finally got the courage to ask, who was he playing? Was it Boba Fett? He said everyone around him looked confused. Then someone said, Pedro, you're the Mandalorian. And in that moment, the boy bullied in school, rejected for part after part, unable to make rent, forced to take handouts from friends, told he was too old, who learned to cage his expectations and shut off any hope of ever making it as an actor, became one of the most iconic characters in the modern Star Wars franchise and one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood. Beside every goal sits a set of numbers. Those numbers indicate a date, a best-before date. We tell ourselves that if we haven't reached our goal by that date, it's time to abandon the dream, that it's time to stop kidding ourselves. But here's the thing. That date is an artificial boundary. Pedro Pascal date-stamped his dream at 29. 
then an interesting thing happened. He kept going. Everybody has a different way of coping with rejection. Pascal locked his expectations into a small, tight box so they couldn't run rampant over his heart. Looking back, his friend Sarah Paulson said, I do know there was always this voice deep down inside him that said someday he was going to do what he wanted to do in the manner in which he wanted to do it. But the more you're told no, that little voice starts to get quieter and quieter. Even when that voice was the faintest of whispers, Pedro Pascal could still hear it. And it sustained him for ten more years. Then came the mighty Game of Thrones. He had landed a major role in a major series in an industry that worships youth. And he was 39. But if the 29-year-old Pedro Pascal had walked away, the 39-year-old star would have never emerged. There are countless stories of people hitting their stride at 39 and beyond. So you have to rule age out. It should slip way down the list of imperatives, well behind drive and persistence and resilience. Age is just a set of numbers. The best moment in this story is when Pedro Pascal is being fitted for a costume by the Star Wars crew. After all the years of stifling his hope, he innocently asks what role he will be playing. Pedro, you're the Mandalorian. That may be the sweetest sentence a 44-year-old has ever heard. Never, ever give up. Jose Pedro Balmaceda Pascal, cast in Game of Thrones, age 39, cast in Narcos, age 40, cast in Wonder Woman, age 44, cast in The Mandalorian, age 44, cast in The Last of Us, age 48. The Rejection Podcast is an apostrophe podcast production and is recorded in our Airstream mobile recording studio. The series is hosted and written by me, Sydney O'Reilly. Research, Allison Pinches. Our director is Callie O'Reilly. We regret to inform you, our engineer is Jeff Devine. Producer, Debbie O'Reilly. Our theme music is by Ian Lefevre and Ari Posner. Major sources for this and all episodes are listed in the show notes on our website apostrophepodcasts.ca slash rejection. If you enjoyed this episode, you might also like Rejecting Mark Ruffalo from Season 2. Ruffalo soldiered through 80 rejections, then his big break, then a shocking health crisis derailed it all. Follow our network on social at apostrophepod. This series is executive produced by Terry O'Reilly. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue checkmark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.